A few weeks ago, many of you had the opportunity to meet my brother, Derek. Uh, he was here uh, with, at our uh, outdoor baptism service. Uh, you guys helped commission us to go to Kenya. And uh, so he and I actually took off to Kenya and spent basically the two and a half weeks together. And I'll be honest, it was actually really nice. It was, it was great. Uh, if you'd seen us when we were kids, you would have thought a day like that would never have happened. I mean, we fought all the time. He was a stereotypical redhead and he lost his temper regularly. And I think he cried every day of his life till he was like eight or nine. And I mean, I took many beatings and he's my little brother. And yet he just would, you know, womp on me. I could tell you all sorts of stories. So that's why it was pretty funny when my parents came after we got back from Kenya, my parents came up here to Waverly to, to see all of us. And uh, my brother looks at my mom and goes, mom, you'd be so proud. We didn't fight even once. Uh, <laughs> in fact, to be honest, uh, as Derek and his family, as they were here in Waverly, they were getting ready to leave and head to Omaha. My brother's uh, two oldest daughters uh, live there. So they were going to see them because they're now in Italy. They just left this last week, flew to Italy. Uh, my sister-in-law is in the Air Force, and so they're stationed there for the next three years. And as they were leaving Waverly, there was a little part of me that was actually sad because not only had I enjoyed the two and a half weeks with him, but I don't, not quite sure the next time I'm going to see him. Now, I'm sure they'll get chances to come back to the States. I'd love a miracle to happen and for us to actually go to Italy and see them. Um, but I, I'm so grateful that I have such a great brother. But I'm not here to just sing about the praises of my, my little brother, even though he's taller than me and better looking. Uh, but I want to share a, a fake illustration using him as an example. Uh, they're, they're taken off to Italy. And what I want you to do is imagine with me that my brother has purchased a 1969 Ford Mustang with a 428 Cobra jet engine. And the reason I'm picking a 1969 Ford Mustang with a 428 Co Cobra jet engine is because my dad owned a 1969 Ford Mustang with the Cobra jet engine. I mean, he told me this thing required like high octane, like 96 octane, and this thing could absolutely fly. And the only reason they got rid of it is because when I was about two years old and my brother was about six months, they were finding it really, really hard to fit car seats in the back of this Ford Mustang. And so they sold it to a 16-year-old kid who wrecked it in about three months, and they bought Ford Pinto station wagon. <laughs> I rarely ever question my parents' sanity, but that is one of the moments. My dad's actually lamented to me saying, you know, Aaron, we probably could have pulled it off. We probably could have kept the Mustang and gotten a more family car. I vaguely remember that Mustang. I have one memory of being in the back seat and just realizing this is a cool car. I think it was mostly I got the vibe off my dad because it was his baby. So I want you to imagine that my brother has bought a junker of a 69 Ford Mustang and has gone to the work of remodeling it. And he gets it to look like this. And now my brother is headed to Italy and he can't take his car with him, take his baby. And so he looks at me and says, Aaron, I want you to keep my 1969 Ford Mustang with the 428 Cobra Jet engine. And he says, now I'm going to tell you, Aaron, if I were to try and sell this, I could probably get it over $100,000. I went online this week and looked, and sure enough, a car like this would go for $130,000, $140,000. And my brother's saying, Aaron, I want you to keep it. Now, you know this is a fake story, because no one in their right mind would let me keep a car like this. I am not a car guy. I don't know. You know, like my brother watches car shows for fun, all right? Like, that's not me. 
So, but he says, Aaron, I want you to, to keep it. And I need you just to keep it operating. So every once in a while, like at least once a month, just take it out and just go cruise around just to get the fluids, you know, going and just continue to take care of my baby. And when I come back in three years, I'll take it back off your hands. Well, imagine I go out cruising one night and I stop the place and there's some people oohing and on over this baby. I mean, it is beautiful. And they're asking me all about it. So I'm telling them it's my brother's car and, you know, how he, he did it all himself. And they're like, man, you should really enter this into some competitions. I'm like, there's competitions for like cars, like beauty pageants for vehicles. And they're like, you, yeah, you should totally do it. There's one going on in the Cedar Valley. You should take it. This thing's gorgeous. It, it might do well. So I do. I'm a pastor. I only work one day a week. So with all my ample time, I decide, take this car. And I'm going to put it in the show. And so I do. I put it in the show and it wins. Get a small little, you know, chunk of, chunk of change. And they're telling me, hey, there's another one coming up. So I take it to that competition and it wins again. I take it to a third. It wins. I end up taking it to a national competition. And my brother's 1969 Ford Mustang with a 428 Cobra Jet engine wins the whole thing. And we get a huge prize amount. Now let me ask you, who gets the prize money? My brother. Yes, I'm the one taking the time. I'm the one taking it to the competitions. I'm the one making sure that it's, it's, it's operating correctly. But it's still his car. His name is on the title. He's the one who got it to the state where it's so beautiful. I could never do that. It's his. And so all the prize money should belong to him. I'm merely the steward of the car. Today, as we kick off this money edition of the Everyday Gospel series, we have to start with the most important concept we can look at when it comes to finances. So often when we start talking about money, we start talking about giving, especially in churches. You know, oh yeah, churches just want to talk about giving so we can get more. Well, actually, next week we're going to talk about giving. You're going to realize that really giving isn't so much about what the church wants from you. It's actually what God wants for you. We're also, you know, sometimes when it comes to money, we talk about saving because many of us are looking at our bank account going, I clearly haven't saved enough. How, how can I save? We're going to talk about that in two weeks. And, and sometimes we just want to have peace. That's why we're offering FPU this fall. We want financial peace. But before we can get to any of that, we have to talk about the most important concept. Because if we get this concept correct, it will help shape the way we give. It'll help us understand why we save and how to use it. It'll even help lead us into contentment. And that content, that concept is the idea of stewardship. We have to learn that we are merely stewards of everything that we have. That everything we have, our money, our house, our family, everything we have actually belongs to God. And when we begin to understand that we are merely stewards for God of everything that we have, it now changes the way we give, the way we save, and the way we view our finances. And it actually helps to bring us freedom. So today is kind of the foundation for what we're about to see and also then to lead into FPU this fall. So would you join me in prayer as we get ready to launch this money edition? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, I just want to ask for you right now through your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and minds. Uh, some of us here, we're doing just fine financially. And so we're just ready to kind of sit back and listen. Others of us, we are struggling. We, we're wondering how we're going to make the ends meet. Some of us here are really nervous because now we're talking about church. I mean, talking about money inside of a church. And, and there's been a lot of churches that have misused this, this idea and this concept for, for kind of personal gain. But God, I want you to work beyond all of that. That we would not be so comfortable thinking that we have this all figured out. 
that we would not be so nervous, that we would think we, we uh, can never get past this. And we would also not think that this is all about just trying to get something from us. That today you would teach in such a way that we realize that everything in this world is yours. And that you are giving it to us to not only bless us, but to use us to be a blessing for others. That's why I ask God for you to help us to tune in to listen to your Holy Spirit, to listen to these timeless scriptures, to hear what you wrote thousands of years ago, and the truth that is embedded for us today. So God, would you be our teacher now? And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible with you today, would you open it up to Psalms? Psalms chapter 50. If you notice where the Psalms are, they're kind of halfway in your Bible. So if you have a Bible, you can do that. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us at Riverwood, we don't mind if you use a paper Bible or a digital Bible. Meaning, if you have a uh, Bible on your smartphone, feel free to pull that out and use that. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, we encourage you download one. We recommend the YouVersion Bible app because it has multiple translations. It's also got some audio Bibles. There's some other tools in there. So we recommend that you download that because it's completely free. And that way, when you're sitting at the doctor's office, you don't have to just sit there and play Candy Crush. You could actually read your Bible. Uh, we're going to be in Psalms 50. And you, we need to realize that this was written thousands of years ago. Uh, when a person is born and begins to grow, they begin learning vocabulary. And some of the first words that they learn are mama, dada. Your kids are like my kids. Ball is one of the first words they learn. But it also doesn't take long for them to learn another word. Mine. Like, like they, they get a hold of something and you, you go to, you know, take it or ask them to share it. No, mine. And while we think it's kind of funny and cute and then eventually frustrating, the problem is we don't really outgrow it. We, we just kind of change the way we do it. But we still think in terms of mine. We, we get a job and we now see it as my job. And then when we get the paycheck, we think of it as my income. And then we use my income to buy my house or my groceries or my ice cream or my 1969 Ford Mustang with the 428 Cobra jet engine. We think of it as mine. Well, these ancient people, they were very, very, very different than us. Like if they wanted, uh, let's say they, they wanted steak, they didn't just swing by fairway. They like actually had to go out to the barn and kill the cow. Right? If, if they wanted some milk, they, they didn't just swing by high V or quick star. I mean, they like had to actually go out there and, and milk the cow or the goat. You know, they, they wanted corn. They couldn't just stop by the sweet corn, you know, truck on the corner. They had to plant it, wait all year, and then harvest it at the end. And yet, even though they were so different than us, they still saw their cows as my cows. Their fields is my field. That's my corn. This is my house, my family. It turns out they really weren't that different from us after all. And God has to write to them and question them and say, are you sure it's really mine? Because you think it's yours, but the truth is the mine word actually belongs to God. So join me in Psalm 50. We're going to do verses 7 through 15 today. Psalm 50, 7 through 15. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house. Or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. 
If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. And do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The uh, author of Psalm 50 is a guy by the name of Asaph. Uh, Asaph was a worship leader within King David's household. Uh, there was kind of three key worship leaders, and Asaph was one of the, the main guys. And, and eventually his own kids became worship leaders as well. But if you're like me, when you think of a worship leader, you, you know, you think of Jake up here with a guitar. You think of Zach over here on the, the keys. So you think, well, okay, maybe guitars and, and pianos weren't invented yet. So, oh, he probably like played the harp. Well, no, David played the harp. A soft led worship with the cymbals. I, I seriously don't know how that worked. I don't know if you said, okay, everyone stand up and sing with me. Ting, 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 crash. I, I don't know how this worked, but that was his instrument. But as a worship leader, he also wrote songs. He wanted to write songs that would allow the people to sing to God. But one day as he's writing this song, the Holy Spirit takes over and God begins to write through soft to the people. And he starts to say this. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I think if I heard God start to speak, there might be a little part of me excited. Like, the God of the universe is about to speak to me. But then if I heard he said, I will testify against you, now I start to cower in fear. And he, he reminds me, I am God, your God. I am the perfect God. I know all things. And I know what's going on with you. What is God so ticked off about? Verse 8. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. So clearly the people are doing what they're asked. God had instituted a very detailed, elaborate system of offerings. Different animals that you were to bring to kill as, as payment for your sin. Different grain offerings. You, know, you were to do these things as your worship of God. And they're clearly doing it. So he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm not mad at you because your, your burnt offerings are always before me. Here's why I'm upset. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. I don't know about you, but it sounds like God is writing this on a Monday morning. Right? He sounds cranky. Like he's saying, I'm not going to accept it. Yeah, you're, you're making the sacrifices. Not going to accept it. Why? Verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. In other words, when the people are coming to the temple, they're bringing their animals to sacrifice. They're bringing them thinking that this is my calf. This is my goat. These are my birds. This is my grain. And I'm giving it to you, God, because you tell me that's what I should do. Years ago, when my kids were little, uh, one of their favorite snacks were animal crackers. I mean, who can blame them? I mean, animal crackers. And, and, and so it was not uncommon for me to lift them up, put, put them in their high chair, and then go and open up the bag, pour a bowl of animal crackers, and put the bowl in front of them. And sometimes, occasionally, I would just sit down with my kids at the table just to hang out with them, talk with them. And there's a bowl of animal crackers. So I just reach over and take one. And all of a sudden, they like pull the bowl towards themselves and go, Mine! 
Like looking at me like, how dare you, daddy? Why would you take from me? These are my animal crackers. Which is absolutely hilarious because I'm the one who had the job that earned the money, that went to the store to buy the cracker. Then I'm the one who opened it up, poured it in the bowl, and put the bowl in front of them. In fact, I'm the one who lifted them up and put them in the high chair. And they have the audacity to say, these are mine. (laughs) Now, let's just pretend that one of my children actually has a moment of sweetness. Very, very selfless. And they take one of them out and they go, here, daddy. Even in that moment, they're looking at me like, I love you and I'm doing you a favor. (laughs) I am taking out of my bounty and giving to you. That's what the Israelites were doing. They were taking my cow, my goat, my lamb, and God, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to bring it to you. Look how spotless it is. I'm giving you my best. Here you go. It's like God just scratching his head going, um... You do realize that the only reason you have lambs is because I'm the one who invented them? Like, I, I, I created them? In fact, there's a thousand of them out on the hill. I don't need that one. In fact, God begins to mock them just a little bit. Verses 12 and 13. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or, or drink the blood of goats? The, the obvious answer to that question is, well, no. I mean, God is spirit. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep. He's not like us. And, and so he, he's not sitting there going, oh, I, I got so busy taking care of everything that I accidentally skipped a meal. I'm really hungry. Again, could you guys sacrifice a cow? I'd really like some steak right now. Like, no. And even if he did have, get hungry, he's like, I've got a thousand of them out there on the hills. I don't need yours. So why is God asking them to give? If he doesn't need it, why is he wanting them to sacrifice? Because he tells them, here's the heart of worship. Verses 14 and 15. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God's making the point that guys, if you realize that all that you have, your sheep, your fields, all of it, is mine, you would give it willingly with thanksgiving. See, if my children were sitting there with their bowl of animal crackers, realizing that I had actually purchased it, I'd actually done the work to put it in front of them, then they would have no problem giving me some. In fact, they would keep giving me because they would know, Daddy, they're already yours. I'm just so grateful that you're sharing out of your bounty with me and that I get to enjoy these yummy animal crackers. This is how stewardship changes the way we give. Because when we realize that it's not actually mine, but it's actually his, and I'm merely a steward, it totally changes the way we approach it. It's no longer us having to give out of compulsion. Like, oh no, I have to give this money. Like, God, I could really use this for this. I really want to purchase that. I I really want this vacation. Instead, God, everything I have is yours. So if you ask me to give, I will give and I will give joyfully because it's how you want your money used and spent. Now, this does not mean you can't buy yourself food. I think that's one of the ways that God is glorified as you use it wisely to care for your family. I don't think it means that you have to like go and cancel Netflix, but I I think you do need to look at your pocketbook 
as you look through the checkbook, where's the money going? Is it just pretty much being spent on you? Or are you actually using God's finances to really bless others? Jesus wanted to drive this point home in one of the stories that he told. It's in Matthew chapter 25. You don't have to turn there, but if you do know where Matthew is, feel free to turn to Matthew 25. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to pretty much just tell you the, the story. Uh, Jesus is, is telling the story that many of us call the parable of the talents. Uh, a talent is not necessarily a, you know, like great athletic talent or, you know, musical talent or even learning to juggle. You know, a talent in this case was money. Uh, it was actually about 6,000 denarii. Uh, one denarius was about a day's wages. So it was very common for, you know, someone to go out in the fields, work, and at the end of the day, they would receive their payment and it'd be one denarius. All right, so a talent was 6,000 denarii. I wanted to help put this into a concept that, that we could realize. So we'd realize how much this is. So I started doing some research and I discovered that the average American in 2019 makes about $180 a day. Now this is the whole range, right? This is people who are, you know, minimum wage and service workers. And, and then those, you know, who are bank presidents or lawyers and doctors. And so, but the, the average is about $180 a day. All right. So let's just pretend that a denarius is $180. That means 6,000 of them comes to $1.08 million. $1,080,000. So we're not talking about a rich man giving these talents like five coins or something to his guys. No, he's giving a million dollars. This is a lot. It's not just, hey, I really like you. Here's some money. No, it's, hey, I'm investing in you. I want you to take this and use this. And so Jesus tells a story about this rich man who takes off and he's going to be gone for several months and he wants his money to continue to make money for him. So he calls the servants together and says, all right, for you, I'm going to give you five talents. In other words, $5.4 million. So this next one, I'm going to give you two talents. In other words, $2.16 million. And then to a third, one talent, $1.08 million. Takes off and he's gone for months. Eventually he comes back and then he calls these three servants to him because he wants to settle his accounts. So the first one shows up and says, I took your $5.4 million and I doubled it. Here is your $10.8 million. Now oh, the rich guy's thrilled. He's so happy. He praises the guy. He says, enter into my praise. Second guy walks in and says, I too doubled your money. Instead of the 2.16, here is $4.3 million back to you. Same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the praise of your master. I'm so proud of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But then the third guy walks in. And Jesus says this is what happens. Matthew 25, starting in verse 24. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming should have received what was my own with interest. Why is the rich man so upset? It's not like the guy stole the money. He didn't jump on a ship and head off to St. Thomas and, and spend the rest of his days. Like he returned all of it. Why is he so hacked? 
Because it wasn't the servant's money to do with it whatever he wanted. It, it wasn't like he said, hey, here's, here's 10 bucks. No, he gave them over a million dollars. It was expected. He was going to invest it and use it at a minimum. He could have given it to the bank, collected the interest, and then brought that back. But he didn't even do that. He treated the money as if he could do with it whatever he wanted. And that's Jesus's point. God is the rich man. He's the richest. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need anything from us. He gives this to us so that we can use it for his glory. It's not ours to do with what we want. It's his, and we are to use it to honor and glorify him. And one of the ways that he is glorified is when we use it to bless others. That's why God calls us to live generously. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. But in order for us to truly understand that generosity, we have to understand first that all that you have actually belongs to God. I don't know about you, but this can be a little overwhelming to, to think like, Everything I have belongs to God. How am I supposed to get this mindset? Because I, I live every day of, of thinking about the work that I need to get done, of my family, of my schedule. How can I reframe up my mind to realize that everything I have is actually his? So my tip to you today is to look at the gospel. During this everyday gospel series, we've been looking at the gospel, the definition that we have of the gospel here at Riverwood. The gospel is the ongoing story of God redeeming broken and imperfect man and restoring him into the perfect and complete image of Jesus. That gospel, therefore, means that there was a time where we were right. We were perfect. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1. When God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit huddled up, they just got done making the plants and the animal and the sun and water. They huddle up and go, hey, great idea. Let's make humans. And we'll make, make him in our image. Like, we'll give him a will and an intellect and personality. It'll, he'll be different. And we'll put him over all of creation so that he can steward it for us. So they mound up some dirt. And they breathe life into it. And Adam comes to be. God says it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve. And now he's got this union, this pair. And their job is merely to populate the earth and overlook everything, to be stewards. But in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, who is opposed to God, sees this beauty, sees this perfection, and tries to think, how can I ruin it? So he slips in there as a serpent, and he tricks Eve into eating the forbidden fruit. Adam and Eve only had one thing they were supposed to do. Only command, don't eat of this fruit. And yet Satan tricks them into thinking God's actually keeping something good from them. And so they eat. And in that moment, when their teeth sink into the fruit, sin crashes in to the perfect order and brings absolute chaos and destruction. If you start reading through Genesis 3, you'll see that the, the relationship between humans and, and the earth becomes very difficult. Rather than just stewarding, they're going to have to till and work hard to produce. That the relationship between Adam and Eve was going to be strained. Many of us, we, we've got friends, family. Some of us have even experienced divorce and separation. We know the strain of that sin. They, they talked about the, the relationship between God and humans and how it was broken. And that's because the image that God put in them, sin cracked, it marred, it blurred it. But it could not erase it. That's why God sent Jesus. 
It was to redeem broken and imperfect humans and to restore them into the perfect, complete image of Jesus. God wanted to restore his image within humanity. And so what that means is that you were dead in your sin, but Jesus came to pay the penalty so that you could be spiritually resurrected. You could become alive again. Instead of being separated from God, you could now be in a relationship with God. And so what this means is that you've been created by God, his image is in you, and now you've been purchased by God. Jesus bought you. When sin tried to snatch you away, Jesus says, nope, that one's God. I see the brand. The brand is blurred. It's marred, but I can restore it. And so Jesus came and died on the cross so our sins could be forgiven and we were purchased. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 6, verse 20, that you have been purchased. So therefore, you cannot just go and do with your body whatever you want. You can't just go and use your time however you want. You can't even use anything else around you for your own benefit because you are not your own. You were created by God. You were purchased at a price. And so you were doubly his. So you don't have a claim on your life. If you say, I am a Jesus follower, if you recognize that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins, then you say, I've been made by God. I've been purchased by God. I am his. Everything that I am, everything that I have belongs to him. That is why you are a steward. So because it's all his, you have no claim on your own life. So therefore, you have no claim on your house. You have no claim on your, your family. You have no claim on your time. You have no claim on your job. You don't have even a claim on a 1969 Ford Mustang. It's all his. Thing is, will we be, have the guts to just completely surrender to him? To let him really say, it's mine. Will you surrender enough to let him eliminate the word mine out of your vocabulary? And you would say it's all his. Because if you begin to make that shift in perspective, realizing that your finances, your possessions, your family, your time, all belongs to Christ, it actually begins to change then the way you use it. And you begin to use it in a way that glorifies and honors him. Because now you're using it in a way that it leads you to thanksgiving. It leads you to a place where you realize I am dependent on him. And now it no longer becomes about you. It's how can I give the greatest glory to him? And as you then use your finances in this way, now you begin to find true joy. Our culture around wants you to believe that your joy will be found when the Amazon boxes appear on the porch. That the more you have, the greater your joy. But as we're going to see next week, the opposite is true. That if you want to have the greatest joy when it comes to finances, you're going to find your greatest joy through generosity. But in order for you to truly be generous, to truly part with these things, you have to realize that you are a steward. It's not yours, it's his and when you begin to get that, now you begin to find that financial peace. So Heavenly Father, I pray you would help each and every one of us to find that place of, of true understanding of stewardship, that we would be willing to allow you to take that word mine out of our own vocabulary and realize that the only person who can say it's mine is you. God, I pray that as you help us to make this shift in our perspective, that when it comes to our finances, 
that we would realize that our greatest days lie in generosity. It lies in, in using these things for your glory. It lies in, in living a, a, a generous life that blesses others. And so God, I just pray right now that you'd help us, that you'd forgive us for the times that we try to use our money for ourselves. We use our time for ourselves. We, we use these possessions for ourselves. We've bought into the myth that it's mine. God, I thank you that you love us. That even when you came to testify against Israel, you still called them to follow you. You still called them into your presence. You loved them so much that eventually you did away with the sacrifices of bulls and goats and birds. You did it through the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus, you were the perfect steward. You came to this earth because your father sent you and you lived your life exactly the way he called you to. That you and the father were one and everything he told you to do, you did to perfection. Ultimately going to the cross to die for our sins so that those sins could be forgiven, our debt could be paid, and that broken image in us could begin to be restored. So Jesus, help us to keep our eyes on you. To realize that your image is in us, that you created us, and you died for us, so you've purchased us. And as that truth sinks into our hearts and into our minds, it would totally reframe the way we live our lives, including the way we use our wallets. So God, during these next few moments, would you just through your Holy Spirit help us to come to this place of surrender, of truly being able to say that everything I have is yours. It's all yours. And if we need the reminder, we just look to Christ. That is why we come to these communion elements, realizing that as we take up that bread, as we pick up that cup, we realize that Jesus, your body, your blood was broken and shed for us. And so we take and we eat and we drink, not to somehow try to please you, but to instead say, this is part of our story, that what you did, Jesus, for us is now who I am. And because you, Jesus, were the perfect steward, giving your life for us, we now want to live our lives as a steward, managing the things that you have given us. So God, would you make these next few moments a moment of surrender, a moment of, of commitment, uh, a moment uh, of reminding that you are God, it's all yours, and we want to go and give all of us to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.